Welcome back to Dating After Death, a podcast dedicated to the journey of finding love again after losing your forever person. And I'm your not-so-anonymous host. Almost hard to believe, but we are actually in our second-to-last episode of Season 2. And if you are anything like me, or everybody else who's posting about grief during the holiday season, you probably understand that this season has been a lot. It's always a lot of feelings, and it's just really hard. It's just really hard. I think this year has been a little easier than last year. This is my third year going through it without my husband. It's not quite as in my face, but there's this low, dull thing that's happening that seems to make everything more difficult right now. So I just want to be honest about that. (laughs) The plan all along has been this schedule of episodes, but I am relieved to be taking a break after next week's episode to just spend time with my family. And then in January, and maybe part of February, I'm going to be spending a little time to work on a few other resources that I think will be helpful for the community. If you know of any small businesses or you own a small business that would be interested in sponsoring the podcast, send them my way. (laughs) But as always, I love and appreciate our sponsorship from BetterHelp. I have heard from many of you, actually, who have signed up with BetterHelp, and I know personally that my online therapy is critical. I messaged a friend today just to say, I don't feel like I have anybody I can talk to about this one specific thing because it's too complex and that is exactly the thing you need your therapist for. So you all know from listening that you get your 10% off the first month's membership at betterhelp.com slash dating after death. So go check that out if you are still in need of therapy. Today's guest is Michelle Breedlove-Sells, and interestingly enough, Michelle and I both messaged each other within like, I don't know if it was days or weeks of each other, to say, hey, I think you'd be a great guest on the podcast, and she was like, hey, I think I really want to do the podcast. The reason I thought she would be an excellent guest was because she's been very open in her journey of finding love again. An interesting side note is that she is now repartnered with her high school sweetheart after the death of her husband. And that is exciting and also, I think, complicated. <laughs> and so Michelle really wanted to talk about that, too, because she knows that some of you are in a similar situation. Michelle and I actually ended up talking a couple times, so the conversation's a little more pieced together than others, but I hope you'll find that it still has a nice flow. So without further ado, here's Michelle. Hi, Michelle. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Well, I am really excited. This was like one of those circumstances where I had you on my list of people to reach out to, to do the podcast. And then you were, I think you reached out to me, too, to be like, I'd love to do the podcast. I did. We were both like, yes, let's make it happen. I did. I felt like my widow circumstance isn't terribly unique, but the joys and issues that my Ununique widow story thrust upon somebody are hard to navigate. And I was like, you know what? I haven't heard this yet. And I want to say this because I think it's really, really important because I think a lot of widows reconnect with past loves. I know that that's not unique, um, but it has its own nuance of difficulties that you have to, that aren't something you would encounter with somebody that's new. Yeah, I think that that's totally true. And I also think there is beauty in the ordinary as well. Not that this is totally ordinary. You know, you want to speak to the masses as well. So I love hearing the outlier stories, but like, this is great too. Yeah, I think that I think there's some there's some important stuff in here that I'm still learning and like navigating myself. So I don't I am not by any means do take nothing I say as like expert advice. I am just clawing my way through this like everybody else. Mm hmm. That should be like my slogan for the podcast. Totally. Not an expert. Not one expert in the house. Totally. <laughs> Learning as we go. <laughs> totally. It's, I always say I, I didn't, I, I, I couldn't have children. Um, and I always say to my friends who have kids, I've always been uniquely like paying attention to that. And I always say like, you know how I know that you can't adequately describe to me what it's like to be a parent because mm-hmm. I've never given birth to a child. I don't know. I 
hear it and I pay attention to it. And enough of you say something very similar that I've got a pretty decent idea of what it is, but I don't know what it is. Let's face facts. I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I don't. Yeah. It's the same thing for a widow. Yeah. It's a perfectly indescribable thing. You can imagine how terrible it is, Mm -hmm. but you really can't imagine how terrible it is, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. And I think even for the people that we're dating, that that's even true. Totally. Totally. Which is an interesting thing. It's like, no matter how many times I try to describe it or however many podcast episodes he listens to. (laughs) All right. So let's start with Chris and your love story. So I was married to my late husband for 10 years, just under 10 years. So we, we missed our 10 year anniversary by like four or five months. Um, but we were together for 12 years. I met Chris when I, I was working at a med device company. I was a lowly med, med device rep. For anybody who's worked in that industry, you have your uh, national sales meetings. We were in a hotel in Tahoe. I didn't go to college. My dad was a dermatologist. I was one of the first medical estheticians in the world. And so I was kind of early to that game, but it wasn't really my bag. Um, and so I found myself later, like a decade later in sales. And so I always felt really lucky to be in the room this first morning of this national sales meeting. And we were in this big hotel in that morning. And I, I wish that Chris was alive so that he could tell this story because I, he told it all the time and I loved it. Like it made me feel like a fairy princess Mm -hmm. that day. I was feeling my oats as they say here in the Midwest. And I really liked my outfit. (laughs) And my hair turned out great. And I'm walking down the steps and there's this big, huge staircase. And I chose to walk down the middle of the staircase. And I don't know why I walked down the middle, but from Chris's perspective, it looked like a very big power move. But I, as Mm. I got to the bottom of the steps, I saw this gentleman who I'd never seen before. He was dressed in a suit and he had like salt and pepper hair. And Chris was like a George Clooney, he was that mm. kind of salt and pepper, dark skin. Yeah, those are delicious comparisons. Yeah, <laughs> like wearing this crisp suit with this sweet tie and he almost always had cufflinks on when he was at work. And so he just looked uh-huh. smooth. And I will compliment a stranger in a grocery store if I like their shoes, if I think they have blue eyes, you know, pretty blue eyes, and man sure. or woman. I just, I have never met a stranger. And as I was walking, as I got to the bottom of the steps, he was there, but he was on his phone and we made eye contact, not in a gross, like flirty way at all. I just thought he was a dude with some other company at the hotel that was clearly there for work and not for play. And as I walked by, I very quietly, but loud enough for him to, to hear, I went, nice. <laughs> Nice. And I I went down. I was one of the first people into the meeting that morning. I got my coffee and my croissant. I sat at the front of the room and the vice president of the company came in and he was like, okay, hey, listen, I want to introduce this gentleman that is coming on to (laughs) replace me. (laughs) And I'd like for everybody to meet Christopher Sells. And Chris walked by me and I was mortified. I literally just like, effectively from his perspective, probably flirted with who was now going to be the guy in charge of the company that I worked with. It was a bad look. And I was like, oh my God. This is such a Top Gun moment. You have to remember from the beginning of the story, I just felt lucky to be in the room. You know what I mean? Like I was there early trying to prove myself. And so I was just like, oh my God, what have I done? But he was super, he was a super great boss and we had no private interactions for roughly a year. Uh, You know, he was way above my pay grade. And so flash forward to Mm -hmm. about a year later, we've had a couple, you know, conversations, but all work related. I should also note, I'm not necessarily proud of it. And I have quit since, but Chris and I both smoked cigarettes and we were two of the few people like left on the planet, it seemed like who did. And so from time to time, when the company was together, we would find ourselves outside in front of said hotel or hospital or whatever, smoking cigarettes. So a year later, it was a national sales meeting. I was the number one sales rep that year and I was winning some awards. And Chris was, he was flirting with me at that party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, so flash forward to the end of the night and 
I was really proud of myself and I was really grateful to Chris and Chris's right-hand man who had ultimately become my boss. And I was going up to my room. I was standing in the parking garage of the hotel smoking said cigarette. When Chris came outside, we had a couple words and we got, we both got in the elevator to go to our room and I hugged him. The hug lasted longer than it should. Mm. He said, would you like to have a drink? And I said, sure. And yeah. I went to his room and that was the, you know, the rest was history. We didn't sleep. We stayed up till five o'clock in the morning. I told him all about my high school sweetheart that I had recently broken up with. And he told me about his ex-wife and about his kids. And we just kind of shared all of that stuff. And there was like a little bit of smooching, but the bottom line was we were 100% soulmates. It was, mm-hmm. it couldn't separate us from that point forward. I shortly thereafter quit my job, sold everything, moved to Arizona. We were just easy to the point that I said very frequently and almost on a weekly basis, what would I do without you? Mm. Like, you know, I would, I would look at her and be like, fuck, babe, what? I can't even imagine. How did we get so lucky? Like, how are we so lucky? I can't even imagine what I would do without you. And it's, it's, it's I just said it so often that it just came back to haunt me later. Cause mm, I was I'm sure. Cause I had to figure it out, you know, yeah. like ultimately I was like, oh my God, I knew this was going to be awful. Yeah. I just didn't think it was going to happen now. Like yeah. I, like everybody, I'm sure like, you know, you envision being old together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I love hearing you tell the story because like, I can see it in your face, you know, it's <laughs> like, you just like light up and the whole thing. It's like, you just, you're so alive telling it. And I love it. Oh, I wish she was here to tell. I love her. She used to tell it all the time. You'd be like, and then she just walked right down the middle of the steps. Like she owned the place. And I could just tell, I was like, oh, I don't know that I've ever been more like adored in mm. a single by a stranger. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There is that beautiful banter with your spouse where you do this play of telling the story. Yeah. Totally yes. Yeah. Tells a little, I tell a little, you know. Yes. 100%. I miss that desperately. So but what happened, have, Michelle? It was June of 2019, June 8th. Everything was so great. I was finding success as an artist and I had been invited to go speak at an artist retreat. I said, yes, it was a Saturday morning and all week long, Chris kept asking me what car I was going to drive up there. And I drive like a 12 year old Land Rover. Chris was a car guy. He had this very fancy Jaguar. I called it fast car. (laughs) And he wanted me to drive it, but he kept saying, I want you to drive fast car. Cause this, this drive I was going to take was about four hours. And I kept saying, no, I'm not going to drive fast car. So finally on Friday night, the day before he died, he asked me, he was like, why won't you drive fast car? I don't understand. I was like, because if I wear my fancy jewelry and I drive your car, I'm going to look like a pretentious asshole. <laughs> and I want to wear my fancy ring. We <laughs> had a good laugh about it. Chris always got out of bed before I did. And he was already up, but the dogs were bugging me. And so I got out of bed and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to walk, uh, I'm going to feed the dogs. And he said, I'll feed the dogs. You go back to bed. You can get another hour of sleep if you want. And I said, I love you so fucking much. I turned around and I went back to bed. And when I got up about an hour and it was about an hour, 20 hour and 30 minutes later, I couldn't find him in the house super weird. And I finally walked out the garage door and I walked between our two cars and he was, he'd had a heart attack. He was out there waxing that car. Mm -hmm. And, uh, losing Chris was awful, but it's hard to describe to somebody who hasn't experienced that the finding of just, it's, you know, it was just like going from normal to horror, you mm-hmm. know, just fear. And I knew he was gone. I could tell. Yeah. I screamed and, uh, it, it was his oldest daughter's birthday. Mm. I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't yeah. know. It's, it was just terrible. And, yeah. um, and everything changed. And I mean, mm-hmm everything. Yeah. I was like a ghost. I was so alone. I can't yeah. begin to 
describe the level of aloneness. And I, I watch you and Mariah and other widows that are moms. And I know that those, like I said earlier, like I know I can't understand those struggles and they are uniquely horrendous. I know that, but there's also the flip side of like being able to hug your kids and see bits and pieces of your person in your little people that I'm so jealous of. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I have a very, very close friend who lost her partner last year and they also were without children and she is regularly just the loneliness is killing her. I mean, it's not literally killing her, but she just... It's intense. It is really, really, it amplifies what is already, but who knew, you know, Mm -hmm. I would also mourn the loss of kids I never had with the husband who was recently, it was, it's just a real mind twister, you know? Yeah. So Michelle, did, did the loneliness prompt you to reach out to Yes. People for companionship, for friendship. How did that look in the beginning? And then how did it evolve? This is where I think that my story is unique. I could not see myself dating. I couldn't. I'm way too much of a recluse. I was right before I met Chris, I was on the front end of that online dating thing. And I tried it in the year before I, Chris and I got together and I had two experiences. One was a date with a guy who was in his last year of medical school. And he had recently broken up with his fiance, who was also in medical school. We had this great dinner and this wonderful conversation. And by the end of the conversation, I had convinced him to go back to his girlfriend (laughs) and they did get back together. They did ultimately get married. (gasps) Oh my gosh. You could see it. Yeah. And then the other One was, it was a successful dating thing. We just, it wasn't the right time. I've heard people on your podcast talk about the apps and the dating sites and stuff. And I didn't, I wasn't very good at it. I loved the exchange of emails Mm -hmm. and to know somebody deeply in that regard. And like the clever quips and like being uh, witty. Yeah. Like I loved that party, but I did not want to go on any dates. Like I didn't want them to ruin it. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was better in your imagination. Yes. It's exact. It was exactly what it was. I know everybody feels this way about their people, but Chris was like a huge, bigger than life, giant personality. And he was incredibly memorable to everybody who he touched, not just to me, like to so many people. And I had totally outkicked my coverage. Like he was way fucking out of my league. And (laughs) I find that hard to believe. I mean, he would say that's silly and he felt the, but he felt the exact same way. He thought I was out of his leagues. That's why I was so perfect. I just couldn't see my way towards trying to fill Chris's shoes. Like it was just- a near impossibility. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. So I hear this frequently. I feel like from people who, who are newly widowed that they can't see it. They can't envision it. it, it it's different from my experience, which was, it was on right. my mind right away because I just, I love love. <laughs> That's why I was intrigued by your podcast to begin with and by your story for what it's worth, because your experience being so vastly different from my own right out of the gate, your first instinct, let's say your instincts being vastly different from mine was, it was, and continues to be an incredible reminder of how incredibly different this is for everybody. Yes. yes. Is no path. Like yep, if you're there's no right way for a new widow, please understand that you are going to do this the way that you do it. And it is mm-hmm. going to be nothing like anybody else. Correct. There's no right or wrong. Just anyway. Continue. Yeah. I love that. No, I was just going to say that, um, I, because of who I am and my, the way I process, I always wonder like if it's a genuine, I'm happy and content and fine being single for the rest of my life, or if it's more driven by fear and uncertainty. I can answer this. And I know I can answer this well, and it actually leads into the back end of my story in the, in the months before I met Chris or before I had a private relationship with Chris, Literally, I was having conversations with my mother where I had kind of, I had always been in a relationship. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm friends with all but one person I've been in a serious relationship with. I had said to my mom very recently before I met Chris, hey mom, would you be like, as a mom, and I'd be honest with me, would it be terribly disappointing to you if I never got married? Like, I'm not saying I won't have kids, just saying like, I don't think I need to be married. And she said, and this is a direct Debbie Breedlove quote, are you asking me if I would be disappointed if you chose not to pick up somebody's dirty underwear for the rest of your life? (laughs) And I said, yeah. And she goes, yeah, no, I just want you to be happy. And then flash forward six months and I was madly in love with Chris. But to answer your, your original question, about six months after Chris had passed, I was in a real bad, like I was just bad. I was lonely. I really wasn't going out much. I was, uh, for outward appearances, like you'd have thought I had, it was very important to me that everybody thought that I was like the best widow of all the widows that were ever widows. And I was just going to mm. handle it. It was going to, I was going to, you know, take this widow thing and just strangle it. And I was just going to do it right. And I mean, I really tried to control things Hmm. which were uncontrollable. And I just got to the point, I lost like 30 pounds. I couldn't look in a mirror Hmm. and it wasn't because I didn't want to get ready. It was because I just like looking at my, oh, it just makes me want to cry. Even thinking about it, looking at my reflection in that time, Like I can see how bad I was hurting. It's like a scary movie. Like I wanted to put sheets over the mirrors. I just didn't want to see what was in my eyes. If I'm being honest, I felt, I feel like I was drowning and I didn't have an anchor and I don't have my parents. I love my parents to death, but they are not super, they're not like a terribly soft place to land. They're very much of the get up and dust your knees off variety, but I couldn't take that in that. I couldn't. Yeah. Just to quickly relate to you, the mirror thing. I remember like in those first few months, I would, I would do the same thing. And like, I don't know that I was super conscious of it. Like you have been, but I remember catching glimpses of myself in the mirror and being like, that's what you look like. Yeah. You know? And it was scary. And I felt like quickly too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm surprised I don't have a white streak in my hair. Yeah. Right. It was uh, man, I was just lost. Yeah, I was just, that's it. I was just lost. Okay, so you're going to jump back in time for us. I'm going to jump back in time. So one of my very dear friends at the time asked me if I ever thought about my high school sweetheart. And I said, yeah, of course I do. I mean, and when she asked the question, she knew what the answer was. Yeah. I had had and been very vocal even through my marriage to Chris that I believed in soulmates because I'd had two. Mm. The weird part about my soulmate is that we dated through high school and then we broke up and we were with other people. And then we got back together uh, in my late twenties, but we didn't make it. And you were with him right before you met Chris, it sounds like. Ish. Okay. We didn't make it. We decided, okay, let's just go back to being best friends. And he had truly been, I say after high school, like if you discount the short period of time we dated in our late twenties, he'd just been my best friend. Like every time I'd lost a job or broke up with my boyfriend, he was my guy that I would call just like my other best friend who happened to be a girl. So there was for the vast majority of our relationship, there wasn't a romance part associated with, although there happened in high school, he was just my person about Nine months before I met my late husband, my high school sweetheart is Chad. Chad called me and said, Hey, I can't talk to you anymore because my girlfriend is driving her nuts. Like she's, it's really just, she can't hack it. Mm. And I was like, dude, we've been in each other's lives for like 15 years. And we weren't even old at that point. Like we were young. Yeah. Everybody, everybody I've ever dated, everybody you've ever has had to deal with the fact that we're friends. Like she just needs to get over it. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. And he was like, no, she really, like, she really, really can't. And I remember thinking at the time that I was afraid of what he was going to do, which would have been a really immature move, would have been to like, tell me that we couldn't talk and then we would continue to talk, but it would be secretly. Yeah. And I wasn't going to do that. I was like, right. I, you know, and so I said to him in that moment, and it was a crossroads in both of our lives because I literally lost my best friend like that. Mm-hmm. But I said, if that's the case, don't ever fucking call me again. Mm-hmm. And he knew because we'd known each other since we were children that I meant it. Yeah. yeah. So he called me for two or three days and I didn't pick up the phone. And then we never spoke again for 13 years. 
Oh my gosh, really? No Facebook. He's not a social media person. And was he with her that whole time? They ended up getting married. Um, They ended up getting divorced. And I would hear things through the grapevine because we'd grown up together. So we shared a ton of friends. But fortunately for me, unfortunately for Chad, when he got with her, he kind of like broke away. So he was kind of out of my periphery. And interestingly, when I first met my late husband, Chris, and I brought him into my group of old school friends, they were all very like, this guy's really cool, but I mean, like, you know, you're supposed to be with Chad, right? Ultimately, Chris won them all over because he was incredibly charming and we threw great parties, (laughs) but (laughs) there was no interaction, none radio silence for 13 years. When my friend asked me that, that afternoon, like I'd already thought about him, but I thought, I can't spend 13 years. You know, I can't, and I don't know, like he could be in a relationship with somebody. He could be remarried. Like I, yeah. so I was like, I, you know, I don't know. And she said, do you know his number? And of course I could remember his number. So I thought (laughs) about it and I ended up sending his mother a note (laughs) And uh, I've been considering reaching out to Chad, but I want to make sure he wasn't in a relationship because I knew what Chad and I had was robust enough, even with 13 years of no contact, that I would 100% throw a bomb into any relationship he had, whether it was new or old. I was fairly certain, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way at all, but I knew that what we had was special enough that it was highly likely I was for Chad, you know, the one who got away. I was going to ask, do you think he always was in love with you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Otherwise it wouldn't have been such a big thing for his girlfriend. Now I know it, you know, now I know it for sure. But at the time I thought it, his mother said he wasn't in a relationship. And I then sent Chad a text message after 13 years of radio silence that said, I hope you are as nervous to receive this message as I was to send it Mm -hmm. and very stupidly and very arrogantly just assumed that he would know that that was my number after 13 years. (laughs) So he got this very benign message from somebody (laughs) who was no longer in his phone. And he was like, I just figured it was like somebody I met on Tinder or (laughs) he had done the dating online dating thing for a hot minute. And he was like, I was, I was with a guy that I work with. He saw it on my phone. He was like, who's that? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm not answering it. So he didn't, (laughs) which, so I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe he didn't answer me. So I reconvene about 24 hours later and I'm reaching out to him. I'm making it sound really cute and adorable. But the, the reality was when I was reaching out to him, I was in such a dark, dark, dark place that I really needed him. I needed my best friend. The yeah. truth is I, it was a need situation. And I sent him a second message and it said, I am as lost as I have ever been. And as I remember it, you have big shoulders. Uh-huh. And he then knew who it was. And mm me and we got on the phone and it was really cute. And he was like, Oh my God, you sound just like you. And I was like, Oh my God, mm. you sound just like you. And <laughs> it makes me want to cry. It was really sweet. And about 48 hours later, he lives about four hours North of Dallas where Chris and I lived about 48 hours later, he came down to Dallas and we spent the day together and it was really cool. You know, we were sitting across from one another and I had on a pair of holy jeans and I have like this little one and a half inch scar on my knee. And we were sitting there talking and he had his hands on my hands. They were kind of like on top of my legs. And he saw that little scar and he pointed at it and he was like, I remember that scar. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But when he got to my house, it was funny. I was standing outside, like kind of guiding him in on the phone and he turned the corner and I could see his truck and he drove down the street. He practically almost didn't put his car in park and he hugged me and I felt like I was going to be okay. Like I Mm -hmm. could like like relax. And I I felt like for some reason, him being there made it okay for me to cry because I've really been like just choking back every time I wanted to cry. I just was just trying to, because I felt so alone that I wasn't sure I'd ever stop if I started. Yeah. So it was so funny. I mean, that very first day he he said to me, he just looked at me at one point and I was like, I love you. Hmm. And it confirmed what I thought, which was, Mm -hmm. I knew I I knew that I had kind of reserved a place in his brain and in his heart and all of those things. But then for the next six months, he would call me. He would read to me until I felt like for hours, sometimes till 2.30 in the morning, you know, just 
read and read and read until he could hear me snoring and then we'd hang up and we'd start the book back over. I mean, and like good, like classic books, he's a big reader. So it was very kind. And, you know, he helped me sell my house and he helped me patch the crack in my pool. And he helped me. I, when I had a water, I mean, it was just like, he really jumped in and. Was it overwhelming for you at all to hear him tell you he loved you and to be there. Yeah, it was weird. It was like, I was grateful for it, but I was also very, I don't, it was a weird push pull thing, right? Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was just, you know, get on his lap, like a little kid and just cry my eyes out and be hugged and cared for. But I also was like, don't, you know, I belong to somebody else. Yeah. I, I'm somebody else's person. So yeah. it was a very weird dynamic, which was why I reached out to you because Chad and I got together so early after Chris's death. Mm-hmm. One of the things I gained as a result, and I, I think is one of the reasons that people do in many cases go back to old loves is because what you lose when a spouse dies is that shared history, right? Yes, like all yes. of those side jokes and all of that stuff that just goes without saying that you can't describe until you don't, you can't describe it to somebody who hasn't lost it. Like, it's just, it's like a whole, it's like losing a language, you know, it's like a, it's like a whole dictionary of things that just ceases to exist. Yeah. And you just um, can't like hash that out with anybody else. No, but when you go back to an old love, there is a shared, Chad and I had more shared history in years than mm-hmm. Chris and I had together. You know, there's a lot yeah. of comfort regaining a shared history and re-exploring a shared history. Being able to reground myself in a love language because Chad and I, we had a language. You know, we used to, our friends used to laugh about the fact that when we were on the phone, you could tell that we were on the phone with each other because mm. we spoke a different way when we were speaking yeah. to each other. Yeah. So I got that back, which was, which was really helpful to me. You know, I'm almost 50. Your change in perspective, all of the youthful petty stuff evaporated. It was gone. Yeah. It was, we didn't, we didn't enter into any of the silly minutiae of being a very young person yeah. dating. That was that was gone. It was all very serious. And because it was starting post loss of my spouse, we both had a pretty responsible, mature way of looking at it and entering into it. Neither one of us were, were really willy nilly about it. Yeah. There were no games. It was all very much on the up and up. Yeah. One of the other pros was you don't have to get naked in front of a stranger. Ah, yes. But it had been a while. So like it had been a huge while. But for me, because Chad and I got together so young, I was married really young. I got married at like roughly 20 years old and I was divorced by the time I was 23. And Chad and I had a a dalliance after that. Okay. Felt like Chad had kind of seen me through the ages. Yeah. Like I have a scar that goes from my neck to my butt. I was born without a thumb on my left hand. Like I'm just kind of a physically, I'm a mess. And he was already like well aware of all of those things. Mm. And so it didn't feel, although I will say this because I didn't have kids. This is a weird thing I've never admitted out loud. Mm. My body, I am almost 50 years old. So my body doesn't look like it did when I was in my twenties or in my thirties. And I have carried guilt about my body changing and not having kids like, oh, Oh. well, like you have a reason to be like, oh, my body is different. I made human beings. Duh. Of course, my body's different. I didn't make any human beings. So my body's just different because I like pasta. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Because I indulge in dessert. (laughs) Yes. And I think that is the also the experience for every man whose body Mm. changes as they age. True story. I mean, yeah, I used I to think this about my husband because I would be like, uh, you didn't have babies and I'm in better shape than you are. <laughs> See, that's my point. So I did have that kind of kind of stigma, but I do remember when there's also that too, like he aged. So we aged at the same pace. Yeah. Um, even though we hadn't seen each other in such a long time, I think we both kind of knew what to expect, you know? Yeah. But then I guess the last pro for reconnecting with a past relationship is your friends understand it more. Mm. They get it if they were a part of it, right? So the people, Chad and I had such a long history that there were a great many people who for a very long time assumed we would be together. And so this kind of seemed like a bookend, like, of course, this is supposed to be this way because it didn't play out the way that it was quote unquote supposed to play out when we were young. There's a con to that too, though. I was going to say, I have a question about that. 
Yeah, please. Well, maybe it's what you're going to say, but I was going to say, like, did you feel pressure to be with Chad? Did, did you feel like you had other options? Um, Yes. I don't mean that to sound arrogant, but no. like, I feel like I'm a pretty... I'm a catch. Like mm-hmm. I'm a pretty cool person. I'm pretty unique. Like yeah. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm not going to be able to find anybody to be with. I didn't feel like Chad was the only person who I could be with or who would want to be with me. Um, but there was, if I'm being honest, I knew what I was going to go through. Having lost Chris was going to be so difficult that when I reached out to Chad, it was very much about reconnecting with my best friend. And he knew that too. Yeah, He knew that I was, based on the very first text message that I sent, he knew when, even though there was no communication for 13 years, he knew when he got it, what I meant. Yeah. Because we had so much shared history. And he made it very clear to me right out of the gates that he was, this is almost a direct quote, but something to the effect of, I am here. I am here for you, regardless of what it means for me. Mm. I have no expectations. I don't Mm. care if you break my heart. I don't Mm. care if this lasts two weeks. I don't care. Like I'm just here because I hear you and I know what that meant. And that took a lot of pressure off of me. Yes. Um, What a loving thing to say. It was incredibly loving. And he, in fact, you know, I know that you asked your guests, like, what did you do with your wedding ring? Yeah. By the time I reached out to Chad, I'd lost so much weight that my wedding ring wouldn't stay on my finger anymore. And I remember saying to Chad, like, I miss my wedding ring because I can see men when I'm out, I can see men seeing that I don't have a wedding ring on. Oh. And I don't like that. Oh, I don't want to be, I had a, uh, a couple of friends who owned really trendy, cool uh, restaurants and businesses in Dallas, in North Dallas, where I lived in. Um, they were letting me like one of them had just opened up a distillery and they would let, they can't, they let me hostess just to get me out of the house. Like, do you yeah. want to come and hostess just so that you're not wandering around your house? And one of the nights that I was over at the distillery hostessing, I, there were some guys that were tracking me and I really didn't like it. And I mm. remember saying that to Chad and uh, it wasn't long after that, that Chad gave me a ring mm. and proposed and it was way too early oh, to propose. Interesting. Okay. Way too early to propose, but kind of in that unspoken, we know each other way. What he was trying to say is I'm not going anywhere. Yes. This is one Um, of those things where with you and I, the experiences are so different. I loved that feeling of being looked at. I was like, oh, that feels good. Mm -mm, I did not at all, like at all. And I, and I hear that when you're doing the podcast, like it did, it felt invigorating to you and probably felt, gave you some, some life and some tingles and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was very much like, no, thank you. Don't, don't come over here. Yeah. I love this for people who can relate to that. Mm -mm, No, not at all. I was very uncomfortable. In fact, I never went back and did that again because it was a distillery. And I was like, you know what? People come here after work. They come here Mm -hmm. to drink. And if I don't like that feeling, I should probably not be in that environment. Yeah. So, but it was very real. Okay. Um, So so now cons. Yeah, the hard parts. So the cons to being in a relationship with somebody from your past, the first one that came to mind is if there are old problems, those don't go away. Even with age. Chad, even with age. Um, hmm. The petty stuff does, right? The, the stuff that didn't matter then doesn't matter now. You just know that it doesn't matter now because you're in your 40s and not in your 20s. Yeah. But if there were communication barriers or if there were legit problems that prevented you from moving that relationship from relationship to marriage, those things don't evaporate. Hmm. Chad and I have had to work really, really hard on our communication because we both tend to shut down when we're frustrated, Mm. both of us. My late husband didn't ever shut down. He didn't have shutdown mode. And so Chad and I have had to very adult and maturely address the very things that kept us apart, which weren't huge things, Yeah, but they were communication barriers. And like I said, we just had to address them when they were happening. Having said that, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this was because addressing relationship issues is uniquely difficult in every relationship. But when you pile on top of it that one of those people is going through the loss of a spouse and is still in the grips of grief, yeah, it makes it uniquely challenging. And so you have to be, it can't just be 
you're with this person from your past because it's comfortable and you're scared of everything else. You really genuinely have to be in it for the right reasons because it is more difficult yeah. than it used to be. It's tricky. I reached out to Chad relatively early. It was less than six months. And I didn't yet know that grief got worse. Mm. <laughs> you know, that first mm-hmm. year of the numbness and all, I didn't know. And I remember my, my dad saying to me, you know, your aunt says that the second year it was worse. And I remember thinking like, there's no way it gets worse than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I actually That's just crazy. had a conversation with a widow friend who's just passed the one year mark. And we were having this exact same conversation. And she said, yeah. I just, no, year two can't be worse. And I said, I think some people say that. And that's true for them. I said, for me, they were just really different. But for me, year two was so much about this overarching idea that, oh, shit, this is forever. And I have to reinvent everything in my life and I can never go back. And it's, yeah, it's forever. It's it's like you've been, it's like you're a little kid and you're holding the medicine in your mouth for the first year. And then the second year you swallow it. Yeah. Does that make, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like. Like this tastes terrible, but I I have to swallow it. Like that's the reality. And it was rough. One of the other cons is that people that love and care about you, friends, family member, I think they think that they can stop worrying about you. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, everything's okay. Yeah. And everything's not okay. Right. And that's a lot of pressure for that person. Like a Mm. time. All the things like, I'm so happy that you're happy again. I wasn't okay or just happy again. But I think that being with Chad made people think that there wasn't anything to worry about anymore, which was not at all the case. Yeah, Um, that makes a lot of sense. And then the flip side where I felt guilty for grieving and feeling sad, I felt guilty that Chad had to deal with that. Mm. But the reality was we both went into it so early that I think that we underestimated the weight of grief because I had never lost somebody that close. He had never lost somebody that. So I don't think you can know until you're in the middle of it. Yeah. And so he kind of discovered, we both learned a lot about grief. Like, I feel like we're both Mm -hmm. uniquely poised. Should we ever be faced with helping somebody else through it? We're both now uniquely poised to do so. And I had zero experience prior to that. For me, I love that he's walked through me through this with me instead of me having experienced it and then having to like explain to him like, oh yeah, grief was really hard. It's like, no, he's seen it firsthand. Neither of us expected that like still yesterday I'd be crying to him on the phone. That's a really good point. And that is what I was going to ask. Do you think that you have talked to him more about your late husband than you've talked to anybody else about your late husband? Because I have. Hmm. I don't know, because I think sometimes I shield him from a lot of that. So like, I think to keep the world separate, to protect myself so that I'm not like weighing down our relationship constantly with my grief. Sure. I did. I think that I've talked to Chad about Chris more than I've talked to. And like, there's also this element of like, Chad wasn't around for my relationship with Chris. And so it's like filling him in on that 13 years that he missed. Yeah. Like inevitably those stories are going to be about Chris. Yes, me too. I do Um, that. Yeah. And I actually think that I said something to you in an email once when I got together with Chad, my mom was like, you really need to stop talking about Chris in front of Chad. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, <laughs> nope. no, we're not going to do that. That's weird. <laughs> um, no, my mom. So this is like around the holidays and he's going to be coming to a holiday dinner, which is a big deal. Like it's, we haven't taken steps like this. It's a big deal. And my mom said, is he going to be okay with us talking about your husband? And I was like, yes. If he was not okay with that, I wouldn't be with him. This is part of the deal, you know. It's so interesting to see how other people have adapted. Because my mom really struggled with it. She was like, Michelle, you know, she would look at me when I would say Chris's name and like, which then put a weird thing with me and my mom. And I don't want to have any weird things with anybody. All I want to do is be close to everybody. You know what I mean? I don't want... Any division, you know, once you've lost somebody unexpectedly, the last thing you want is to have any kind of like unspoken crumminess. And so we kind of had to work our way through that. Chad was really, really great. He sat down and wrote my mom a letter uh, shortly after we got together. Oh, yeah, it was really nice. And just wanted my mom to know, you know, why he was here and what I meant to him. And, you know, my dad, my dad recently said to me, 
that, you know, yeah, I don't know, Michelle, I don't think I've known anybody that's ever been, that's been loved as much by, I mean, like I love your mom and your mom loves me and we love people. And, you know, and I know lots of people that are in relationships, but like, but I don't disagree with my dad. I feel like I'm uniquely lucky, like mm. very, very, in some respects, I've had some hurdles that other people haven't had to face, but where love is concerned, I've been very fortunate. Yeah. When Chad showed up on my doorstep that day, it was really sweet because like, it was like the old and I mean this in a very sweet way because Chad is also very, very handsome. It was like the old version of my high school boyfriend. You know, I showed up with a white beard. <laughs> like, it's like a movie. <laughs> oh my God, it's so weird. But because we got together so early, I think there was, there has been some, some penance that we both had to pay as a result of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you'll definitely uh, have to tell me more. Yeah, because I wasn't over Chris. Mm-hmm. I hadn't fully digested the grief and mm-hmm. the loss. And so Chad was very much along for that ride, yeah. you know, so there are these lows, I think that are pretty common for a widow that are just incredibly low that come on out of the blue. It can be a song. It can be an instance. It can be something your kids are getting to do or not getting to do, you know, just anything. I don't or even a podcast know podcast to... conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and you have a reaction. You know, there would be times when I would be mad at Chad, not outwardly mad, like I would like yell at him or say anything to him, but on the inside, like I would get angry that Mm -hmm. if you had been this guy back in the day, I wouldn't even know what this feels like, which is silly because then I would be wishing Chris away, but you have all kinds of weird, smooshy, you know, incongruent thoughts. Your brain's trying to make sense of yeah. So there's a part yeah, where I could get angry at him because it's like, it's almost like it's his fault. If our relationship would have worked straight out of the gates, you know, if we'd have run away after high school and just adopted some kids and made a life, I would never have known this kind of, of grief, this kind of sadness or loneliness or despair. And of course, you know, that's not guaranteed either. Right. Totally. And then all of the fear that comes up from just getting into a relationship with somebody Yeah. with the like, what ifs? Yeah. What if I finally relax? Like we're not married yet and we're going to get married. We're getting married before the end of the year. Like we're going to New Orleans. You are? Oh yeah. Oh, congrats. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I'm terrified that I'm going to officially get married and Chad's going to go out to wash my car one day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. yeah. It's just that there's an element of not wanting to get super comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm scared to get comfortable. That's where I live. Yeah. But that comes at such a high cost, right? Because it's like, if you never fully give in, you're missing out on so much. But then to do it, you make yourself so vulnerable. And it's true. It's, it's a real, like, this is no, I just feel like I've done so much growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, how different do you feel? I mean, like, don't you feel like almost like two different human beings? It's so weird. Just like last night or the night before I was looking through old pictures and you know how people will say like, Oh, I don't recognize that girl. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. But then the other night I was looking at pictures and I was like looking at my face and I was like, I actually don't remember her. Like it's hard for me to even remember like what it was like to live in this blissful ignorance of the finality of life. And, you know, and just like how different things are now than they were then. And it's, it's, it's wild. It takes you on a ride. I mean, it, it really sure does. I'm trying now. This is going to be my best year after this. I'm like, I'm making 2023. Like that's the. Get it girl. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I'm not, I really not going to live in the fear part of it yeah. anymore. Just I'm, I'm really pushing myself in ways that, are, that are new. Cause I, I'm really lucky. Like I have this incredible human being who Mm -hmm. has literally, you know, picked me up out of the shower, sobbing about another man. That's not to be ignored. But it's human. Yeah. I guess that's the thing I wanted to say the very, very most is that even if you connect with an old love and that old love is somebody as spectacular as the old love that I am fortunate enough to have, it is still really, really, really hard. It's really 
hard. And we have done a lot of growing up as a Chad and I have, he doesn't have kids either. And so, you know, we almost feel like, you know, like we're not prepared enough. <laughs> like, we're like we're definitely not the adults in the room, you know what I mean? <laughs> but we are. Here's a weird thing that I have had to kind of find a place to put in my brain with my therapist. And I'm still finding where to put that. But because my husband and Chad never met, my late husband was a jealous person, not in like a crazy kind of a way, like in a, in a way that made me feel good, not a way that made me feel bad. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But because he never met Chad and because the first night that I had a a private conversation with my late husband, I talked about Chad. Mm. I was heartbroken. Chad. I was, I was missing my best friend. I was like, this is my whole life. This is my story. And then I lost my best friend nine months ago. So he knew who Chad was right out of the gates. Mm. Time to time. And you'll remember me saying, I would say often to Chris, I can't imagine what I would do without you. Like this is so amazing. Yeah. He would say kind of cavalierly, you just go back to Chad. And so it was kind of like on, depending on the day, some days that felt good. Some days it made me feel shitty. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I didn't quite know where to put it, except that I know that Chris loved me so much that he wouldn't want me to be miserable in the house, shuffling around like a ghost, not talking to people. I know he'd want me to be out in the world and I know he would want me to feel loved. I know that. He, and he knew this relationship would bring you joy. I know he did, but it, it, there, there was a little bit of a weird, you know, like I'm having to come to terms with that was kind of funky. Are what you grateful he... for it now or it's still complicated? It's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. I think I'll always be perplexed by it. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is one of those things for me anyway, where I really try to think about like, what would my husband want for me? I try not to harp on that too much because I'm the one here. And I'm the one raising our kids. And I just feel like I can't be held to something that can't be anymore. Or that you can't even really define. You're just guessing. Yeah. So I just, anybody who's listening to this, who feels like you're doing it wrong, you're not doing it wrong. There's no right way to do this. It just feels weird. So you're about to get married. When is this happening? I'm actually deciding right now. It's going to be the 27th or 28th in New Orleans. So will there be a second line involved? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't know if I want everybody like, it's so much attention. Like, Mm. "Ah, (laughs) but perhaps like uh, you're not the first person that has asked me that. And so, but we are just kind of running off and doing it. I don't really care what color the flowers or the tablecloths are. Yeah. I just want to marry this person. And yeah. I don't really want to get bogged down with all of the nonsense of weddings. And, um, but that's a thing too, like changing my name. Ooh. Oh, are you going to? I have a weird, these bunch of weird feelings about changing my name. I told you I got married when I was very young. And so for a very short period of time, I was Porter. Mm. And then I went you know, more than a decade, not being attached, not being married to anybody. And during that decade, I changed my name back to Breedlove. So when I met my late husband and we decided to get married, he really wanted me to change my name. And I had kind of, I was like, I don't, I didn't even really feel like I need, I kind of wanted to do the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell thing. Like, it's like, I don't think we need to be married. Like I'm never mm-hmm. leaving you, Yeah. but I just, a marriage license is just a license to sue each other if it doesn't work out. And I'm not, I don't need that. I'm not going <laughs> to sue you, but it was really important to him. And so mm-hmm. at that time I dropped my given middle name and changed it to Breedlove so that I would always be Michelle Breedlove. Okay. Thinking I would always be Michelle Breedlove cells. And so now I'm going to have to, if I, I mean, it would be silly not to change my name, but it's hard. Like it's really like, does I Chad feel, want you to? Yeah. Just like Chris did. Like it's an, Mm -hmm. I I think it's it's a a dude thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's a thing. It's way more a thing for dudes, but yeah, he does. And, and I'm really proud. I mean, I'm listen, when I was 16 years old, I wanted to be chat Michelle Cooksey more than I wanted anything else in the whole wide world. Do you know what I mean? So like there's this, you would write it in your notebooks. Oh God. Yeah. I have (laughs) those notes. You know what I mean? So So like, I'm really happy and excited and feel really grateful to get to do it, but it is, strange. And it does make, I do have some guilt wrapped up in it a little bit. So that's, that. that's kind of a, sometimes kind of a I still do that on the shower wall. I like write my name. So, with his last name. 
And I'm like, what am I, 12? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and even though, like, I don't think I would change my name, but like, it's just fun to like play with. <laughs> totally. Okay. So Michelle, so you're getting married. It's been two years since Chris died. No, three, okay. three and a half. He was, it was 2019. So okay, three and a half. 2019. So the big question, I think for everyone who gets married or is permanently repartnered is like, how does grief still play a part in your daily life? Or what do you still struggle with? Well, I will say that a couple months ago, I was really struggling with depression and I had to get honest with myself about it and actually face it, yeah. call a doctor get on medicine. Um, and I'm glad I did. Um, can I ask you a question a about that? Bit of, yeah, please. Just because at the beginning, can I remember please? thinking like, how am I going to know if it's grief or if it's depression? Mm-hmm. So was there like a breaking point for you or something that you were like, this is it for me? It was, I couldn't, I was in a, I was in a, in a, just in a cycle where I was being paralyzed, like not being able to make decisions. And I kept kind of going in this circle and kind of talking about the same things over and over and over again. I don't know the answer to that question because I had a friend stop me and mm. say, Michelle, you, you, I was on a walk and I was panicking about something really benign. And my friend was just like, Michelle, are you somewhere where you can sit down? And I was like, yeah, there's a bench. And I sat down on the bench. And she was like, you need to call your doctor. Like she, mm. you are, this is not normal. So important to have friends. That's a great question. That's a great, ask somebody smarter than me. I don't know, Uh, but it definitely wasn't grief. It was definitely a depression cycle that I just could not get out of. I also think that sometimes maybe when you have the distraction of children, it's easier to get out of your own head. If you don't, if you're like me and there's a lot of alone time and a lot of time to just sit in there and percolate, it's not the best scenario. Yeah. And I think that that's a really great point just to like, to have those friends who know you really well. And if any of those friends know grief, that's extra helpful. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I'm so grateful that my girlfriend was like, babe, babe, you got to I love you, but this isn't, this is just, you don't sound right. You, yeah. you need to do something. And this is somebody who I talked to on a regular basis since Chris died. So she had a, you know, a good uh, bar- barometer. She was able to see it in me before I was able to see it in me, which yeah. was really, really beneficial. Yeah. And the minute there anybody listening to this who even thinks they might be dealing with depression versus grief, because that is really tricky. I don't know the answer to that. It's such a great question. The minute I called my doctor, not the minute I took a pill, but the minute I called my doctor and made the appointment, I felt better. Mm. And then two days later, the minute I got off my telehealth call with my physician and we had a plan of action, I felt better. Like Just the I relief of knowing you were addressing oh, it. You know, m- most drugs for depression don't take start to really work for you in your body and in your system for two to four weeks. And But I had immediate relief just knowing that like help was on the way. Yes. So yeah. if that's how you feel, call your doctor, ask him some questions. That's yeah. And I will say my therapist has been so helpful with me for that too. Just Golly. reassuring me like, cause she knows the difference. She has lived the difference right. and so she can see it, you know? So, okay. Michelle, are there things that we didn't talk about that you want to touch on? Oh, here's the thing. I had a little bit of anger in the beginning that I had to work through with my therapist because my loss was Chad's gain. Oh, you know, like interesting, you know, my therapist was like, okay, well <laughs> true, but let's talk about all the wonderful things that you got like in advance of losing grass. Like, yeah. you know, where was Chad during all of that? I was like, Oh, he was in a shitty relationship and then he was getting divorced. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't all a picnic, I guess is my, my point there. Um, yeah. Most likely we're going to be dating people who are also somewhat broken or coming out of hard things or totally. Yeah. Um, the day after my husband died, my house was hit by a tornado. Oh my gosh. What? Yeah. (laughs) It was awful. Um, and it was kind of devastating for the area. And I lived in North Dallas of all places. It was very, very strange. I remember sitting in my yard that morning thinking, well, at least I have this beautiful garden that Chris made for me. Hmm. And then we went out and look, we were 
touring cemeteries, me and my mom and my aunts. And while we were gone, a storm rolled in. And by the time I got back to my house, there were, there was like two trees on my roof that had pulled out of the ground. It was disaster. And you couldn't even drive down my street. It was just a bad, bad, bad thing. And yeah. uh, I got my dogs and I took everybody. I took all my dogs into Chris's closet and I laid down on a his dirty clothes pile and I, I went in there because there were no windows in his closet. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't see the devastation outside of my house. And I don't know if I was like talking to God or mother nature or the universe or self, but I was telling myself, you know, if I come out of this closet, like a meeker, weaker, decaffeinated version of myself, nobody's going to blame me. Everybody's going to mm-hmm. forgive me. Everybody's going to be like, Michelle was never the same after Chris died. And they won't blame me for that. Yeah. And so I kind of had this conversation where I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let what was the best thing in my whole life, being my my husband, make me a worse or a meeker, smaller, less caffeinated version of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to come out of this every bit as strong and I'm not going to change. And I mean, and I talked about this conversation I have with myself over and over again with people. But the reality is now three years out, that's insane. I am so different. <laughs> of course. That is really adorable, cute way of looking at grief when you don't yet know what grief is. You yeah. know, I was 24 hours in trying to tell myself what kind of widow I was going to be. And if you're like me and you hold yourself to a really high standard, that's really dangerous business because I all I did was just really let myself down for you know, the ensuing months because I was vastly different and I was changing yeah. and I could feel it. And it didn't, I didn't want to, I wanted to be the old, but you don't get to be, that's not how yeah. it works. You'll be a different version of yourself, not a worse version, just a different version. Yeah. Maybe a fully caffeinated, um, totally different version. Yeah. Fully caffeinated, Eventually. totally <laughs> different version. <laughs> but then this is the last thing I wanted to say to you because I asked Chad this morning, I was like, Chad, is there anything that you can think of that I should say? He was like, well, that's a huge question that I should probably do my own podcast for her. But um, (laughs) the three things that he said was, if you're dating somebody who's going through an incredible loss and specifically the loss of a spouse, that he said, I I thought that the grief could be separate. Like it was going to be a separate thing. Mm. And it's not like we're we're all in it together. Like we can't Mm -hmm. keep the grief. It's not segmented or or compartmentalized. Um, That he underestimated how complicated grief is. Yeah. And that the timing plays a factor that he and I, by virtue of getting together as quickly as we did after Chris died, that he knew and and anybody else in his situation should also know that they will be going through grief with you. They are not dating you after grief, that dating you doesn't mean that grief is over. That's so important. That grief is not go and 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 that grief doesn't end. Like, uh, you know, to some extent, I'll always grieve that Chris is gone. And yeah. Just thought that that was important to note it's it's coming with you yeah well we could put that on our online profiles right (laughs) (laughs) i will be one of these bags is full of grief (laughs) oh goodness we'll just leave that as a surprise to those we date yeah totally Thank you so much um, for having me on. Thank you, I Michelle. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's very clear to me that you have a servant's heart because you are just like, I want to say the things that are going to be most helpful to other people. Part of this is sharing your story. And part of it is this is really about trying to help other people who are going through it and feel lost or feel alone. And so thank you. I just, for- well, thank you for having the podcast. I was really proud of you too. And I, oh, I thanks. You've done a really, really, really good job of kind of explaining that how different all of these stories are. I think I, I really cling onto hearing people's stories, even if they're nothing like mine, because I'm just like, God, okay, we're all going through hard stuff. <laughs> you sound really happy though. I like where you are. Like it I sounds really am. Like found inspiration in that. Like because sometimes when I feel happy, I feel guilty for being yeah. Yep, me too. And I have tried really, really hard when I've heard you, like when I can see, when you write things and I can see like, it's that, you know, like percolating love, right? Like it's yeah. like tingly and yes. I can, can come through your posts mm-hmm. and I like, she's really leaning in. You need to do that. You have this, you need to lean into this. And mm-hmm. so I actually gleaned some bravery, I guess, where that's from oh you. Gosh. <laughs> Thank you. That's really sweet. Like there's a million complications 
but I do feel really happy. And like, I don't, I don't want to feel bad about that. You know, that it's hard, but like yeah. we have a life to live and, and I want my kids to see me happy. I'm so happy you found Chad again. I'm really, really, really fortunate. We're really lucky. He's a stellar human being. Yeah. Part of the reason his ex didn't like me was because somebody told her, well, we all know that Chad and Michelle are eventually going to end up together. And so I think oh, of course. the minute she heard that, it was just over. You know, she was like, well, get her out of your life. So, but ultimately that person was right. So, Well, I just can't wait to see those photos from Michelle and Chad's wedding. I am so happy for them. And I know that Michelle will continue to keep it real over on her page, which of course you can find linked in the show notes. All right, everybody, I just want to do one last plug for Patreon because the situation is that in January and February, I will be pausing payments for Patreon, which means anybody who is already a member by January won't have to pay for January and February. So you won't pay for those two months, but you will still have access to everything that's already in the library. And then if you're looking to become a member, you won't be able to do that again until March when I unpause the membership. So if you have been on the fence or you're considering it, December is really the time to join. All that bonus content is in the $10 a month tier. And not only does it give you a little extra content, but it really helps me to keep the show running and to support the work that I do to bring the show to life. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who are already supporting. And if a monetary contribution is not right for you right now, of course, I would love any sort of review or stars that help other people find the show. So I will see you next week for our last episode of season two. Bye-bye.